0: Hello Crab listeners, Arjuna here, just letting you know that this is a bonus episode. This was originally the episode that we recorded to release last week, but then we had the emergency ban announcement and we scrambled to make a more relevant episode. So some of the information in this podcast is a little bit old, a little bit outdated, but we thought that there was some entertaining stuff in here and a fun rant at the end about, well, we'll let you get there if you're interested in listening to the episode, so let's travel back in time to Before Teferi Was Banned, and enjoy! Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Arena Craft podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. And uh, for the other host today, I've prepared a little song. So I hope that you're all ready. The song goes like this: This is CGB. This is CGB. 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 He's the best at MTG. Better than watching TV. CGB. How's it going today, my
1: friend? Um, what the heck was that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was gonna do that. <laughs> um, I, I I deduct points for being derivative. <laughs> derivative
0: man i'm riffing on you man it's very close
1: to my mono red song i'm I'm
0: working with your style you know
1: trademark pending they're gonna have to pay me (laughs) for that one i slipped it in under the under the trademark
0: Uh, yeah, so so for those of you not familiar, CGB has a mono-red song, which is much beloved by many people who hate mono-red as much as he does, and uh, <laughs> that would be a fun thing to go look up. Maybe, if if we have an easy link to it, I'll put a link in the show notes there. Oh no. <laughs> okay. It's been a busy week for me. I've been moving house. And so that's, I'm recording this from a new location, I actually had to work for a while yesterday to get all my stuff set up so I could actually be ready to record this show. But it's, it's nice, I'm, uh, I'm in a new place and I'm really enjoying it, so that's cool. Um, but as a result I haven't been able to, I haven't really streamed at all this last week, I haven't been playing much in general. But I have been I have been observing and checking in on a number of different things. There's, there's been some cool things happening this last week, so we'll we'll talk about that today. But uh, first, how are you doing, my man?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yesterday was the end of the July Mythic season, so I got to do the video I really at first always dreaded doing and now really enjoy, which is the last day of season playing Mythic Ladder and seeing how high up the ladder you can get. Because the swings on the last day of the season are so extreme and there's just more stakes. So there's more tension in everything that's going on. If you're if you play against somebody who's 99% mythic with an hour left in the season. They feel as if they're really competing for something, and so do you. So, uh, it it used to be the kind of content I dreaded. Now it's the kind that's very fun. So that video went up today. It's called Boomer Blue White because <laughs> <laughs> it has like some old school flavor. It has Baneslayer, Angel, and Absorb, and uh, nice. like cards that cards that you shouldn't play in Standard. But the the as you would see in the video, it's like the idea is that everybody's going to play aggro. And if people are playing aggro without good removal spells, Baneslayer Angel is 5-mana win the game. You're like You Baneslayer's terrible against Teferi, it's terrible against Elspeth Conqueror's Death, it's terrible against Brazen Borrower, but if nobody plays those cards, it's 5-mana win the game. And it was kind of amazing how that went. Well,
0: and it's just nice sometimes to get back to your roots, you know, just like play an older style of deck, and hey, sometimes sometimes you get to see why those decks were so successful in the past. So. That's awesome. Well, uh, okay, so this week we have a little bit of a grab bag of topics, but some juicy stuff. We're going to check in on the PT finals. They are happening as we're recording this, and uh, so there's a top eight going on, and we'll look at a couple of deck lists that stand out to us with that. Also, speaking of Boomer Magic, this week was a there was a massive event going on in the Twitch verse, Croakies! Issued a challenge to paper boomers everywhere to come and play versus him. You know, just it was like a little low-key tournament that he did. And uh, for every loss, he ended up donating 500 bucks to charity. So that was really cool. We'll get into you know what he played, how it went, the smack talking, etc., cetera, etc., etc. So let's talk about this PT top eight. So the first thing that I noticed, CGB, about this top eight is how fair and balanced of a meta game this is looking. Look, we have an, a cool 50% of the field playing Reclamation. And is that not just the definition of a balanced metagame? Half are playing it, half aren't. It's just, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. What do you think,
1: CGB? I mean, if, if you like it if you like a solid divide between good and evil, you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, it was a huge part of the meta, and four-color reclamation put up tremendous numbers and conversion rate. It, I don't think it surprised anybody to see that half of the top eight was Team wreck I think if you had taken the poll, and I heard some podcasts talking about this, I think people would have said five to... Some people would have guessed five or six reclamation decks yeah. in top eight. So yeah. it could be worse i guess but there are a few heroes yeah so one of the things that stands out
0: to me about this top 8 is that we have four reclamation lists and then every other list is different right so we have four of the same deck and then four different decks and mm-hmm. so it's it, in a way it's kind of cool because we get to see we get to basically see like the best of the challenger bracket here not the official challenger bracket but like the the meta game challenger bracket here so first of all we have Azorius control by raf levy he managed to pilot it to a top eight finish although unfortunately uh was just knocked out today so it didn't manage to take him the distance and
1: spoilers i don't i don't know who's been knocked in or out you monster that was my hero (laughs) how could you i i can't continue the podcast i'm the blue white mage is out I need to. I, I. I'm inconsolable. I'm inconsolable. I'm going to go stare out the window. <laughs> Talk to me Monday. Bye. No. That.
0: <laughs> CGB is going to distill a liquor from his own tears and then proceed to get drunk off of it for the rest of the weekend. <laughs>
1: I heard a a quick cool story about this deck. Raphael Levy, of course, is a French Hall of Famer and other French Hall of Famer and consensus like top five player of all time. Gabriel Nassif is a known blue-white player and streamer. And Nassif built this deck, gave the list to Levy. They both played the deck, and they had to play each other in round one. Gabriel Nassif went, yeah, it's the worst. And then Levy, of course, won the match, Uh, because we find him here in top eight. It would have been very hard to lose round one and then get there. Nassif went on to have a pretty bad player's tour overall, but his deck and the spirit of blue-white control would live on in Raphael Levy, and that was going to sound a lot cooler until I found out he was eliminated. But um, I I was going to say that, you know, Nassif's heart will go on, but now I know it's dead. Dead like my hopes and dreams. So... The, the player who eliminated him was actually Michael Jacob
0: playing Madu Winota, which I know that you took for a spin in one of your videos this week. And uh, it was, as per usual, it was a pretty convincing performance from him. So I was curious if you had any thoughts on this deck after
1: having taken it for a spin. This deck is absurdly good. One of my students also played it all week, put up an 80... 80- An over 80% win rate in Best of Three Mythic with this deck. Uh, People aren't really prepared to deal with it. Bastry's Lieutenant is kind of I-told-you-so moment for me because I thought that card was really good, but nobody found a home for it until now. And nobody knows how to beat that card. Like, just... um, There was a lot of testing going on through the week, and people eventually came to the conclusion that the four-color rec deck shouldn't even play Solar Blaze against it, because it just doesn't do anything against this deck. And Solar Blaze was one of the key key innovations for the four-color reclamation deck, because in four-color reclamation, it's very hard to cast Storm's Wrath or Shatter the Sky from their mana base, but it's easy to cast a Solar Blaze. but And it hit... Before, it hit everything you needed to out of Mono Green and uh, out of Sacrifice and out of Mono Red, but doesn't touch Mardu Winota. It's like, it's like the deck does not care. Basseries Lieutenant does not care. And uh, yeah, this uh, deck is very real. The, the spot that I find to be the flex spot is the Freebooters, and I've been trying to figure out how to manage the three Freebooter spot for best of one or for a different meta in best of three. Bonecrusher Giant, Heartless Act are two considerations. I do feel like it should be some card that is good if you are on the draw, because I think the deck is mostly um, just kind of a roll you over deck, and if it's on the draw, it's good draw versus the opponent's good draw. It can just lose to to an Embercleave sometimes. So for that spot, there's two other things that are kind of off the wall. I want to try Deafening Clarion. Because I think it actually misses enough of the cards in the deck or uh you don't care if they die because you get knights from the lieutenants. Or you make everything indestructible with Tajik, so you do a one sided clarion. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You could even um, you know, you could even potentially like do a
0: uh get some Winota triggers and then Clarion post combat and all the people you summon up with Winota will be indestructible. So
1: yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, like I thought that sounded pretty interesting. And then the other thing I'm thinking is Priest of Forgotten Gods. Oh, that's a spicy one. There, it is. It's a human, so you can hit it with the Winota, and you have like Raise the Alarm, Woe Strider, Lazatep Reaver. You have all this way to make two things, and if the opponent doesn't deal with it, we've seen what priests can do to some decks. I'm thinking of Mono Green and Mutate. Uh, things that you play in lower mythic or in best of one that you don't play in a team rec meta game where Priest might be really good. So those are adjustments I would make to the deck outside of the team rec competitive meta game. The way that Jacob has built the deck I think it's absolutely perfect for the tournament setting. Uh, just to be clear on that I wouldn't change a thing for for this tournament with the deck list.
0: Yeah, it's it's both just a very good deck list and also a very good metagame call. So, yeah, I mean, the deck just says, I don't care about sweepers, screw your sweepers, play as many sweepers as you want. Okay, don't, don't want to spoil it too much for you, CGB, but the, in, in the final game that Raf lost against Michael Jacob, he actually resolved two Shatter the Skies and was immediately digging for number three to not lose the game. So... That you know, any deck that can just keep swinging after two rats is is doing pretty good. So yeah. Anyway, he Michael Jacob was saying it, it's basically it's my mission to get Winota banned, uh, which I will I'll harken back to saying that that was one of the cards that I nominated to get banned back in the in the purge, the Great Standard Purge. Yep,
1: <laughs> that's true. You were all you were you were straight up soapbox ranting on this one. Yep.
0: I just think Winota is a problem and I think it will continue to be a problem. And if it is not if it does not at some point need to be banned in the standard format before it rotates, I'll be surprised.
1: I, I think it gets to play the good guy for a minute, right? It That's gets to true. beat up Team Wreck and Azorius Control. I think it I think most people would say that Winota's like the fair deck right now. <laughs> That's sick. That's sick, isn't it? Which is what what kind of a world are we living in,
0: right? Where Etherworks Marvel is called the Fair Deck? It's the, it's the funny thing about this is that it's like playing Etherworks Marvel, except instead of the supporting cast being dorky, useless cards like Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot, they're reasonable cards like Woe Strider. So anyway, I don't, I don't need to continue on my soapbox there, but Winota definitely proving herself to be just an absurdly powerful card that can just close out the game on turn 4 easily without breaking a sweat. So anyway, we'll we'll have to keep an eye and see if if like Winota archetypes. You know, maybe this is just a flash in the pan, and Winota is not actually a problem. But deck um, is strong, man. It's very strong, and it's it's possible that in a post rotation world, Winota might actually become an apex predator. Anyway, let's see what else showed up in the top eight here. John Sacrifice piloted by Christopher Larson. Now, it's funny to hear the commentators and the pros discussing this because pretty much everyone agrees that John Sacrifice just doesn't or shouldn't have a particularly good matchup in in this tournament setting. And Christopher Larson was basically like middle finger, I'm good at this deck, I'm going to play it in this tournament, and took it into the top eight. So,
1: Have you met Christopher Larson? I, I have not met him, nope. I, I, I had to ask because your impression of him was perfect <laughs> middle finger what what else did he say <laughs> I don't care what you think middle finger I'm taking this deck now the 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 truth is Christopher Larson uh, a person I have met I spent about two weeks with him in Rome and Barcelona um, he Basically, everybody told him not to play John Sacrifice in this event, that it loses to Teamer, including uh, pros like uh, and, and coverage guy, Corey Baumeister, just straight up laughed at him and was like, you know, you're such an idiot. And, yeah, Chris, Chris is a stubborn guy, but he's also one of the best Magic players in the world. And yeah, uh, he brought this deck anyway. He said, it's what I know. I'm playing what I know. And he ran the deck he, he is really good with, and he... Hi- I mean he high rolled a few a few matchups if you he watch did. the coverage. Oh my yeah. goodness. He he high rolled Canister uh Piotr <laughs> Gl- in particular. Which by the way,
0: isn't that just such sweet justice of all people to high roll playing Jun Food when when they're playing Tema Canister, that's just so satisfying. <laughs>
1: yeah. People, people who know Canister's backstory, he just high rolled people, playing jund last year, and won a mythic championship doing it. Yeah, so, the irony, and on the way out the door. For a final kick in the butt, uh, Chris gave him, gave Canister the GG. Gave him the BM. Pre- prematurely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gave him the yes. BM GG. And Canister is known for BM emotes.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was just doing his best Canister impression. And let me tell you why, he nailed it. So uh, a few interesting things looking at this deck. First of all, three, count them, three copies of Solemn Simulacrum in the main deck. That that really stood out to me. I feel like a lot of these lists were like main decking maybe one and maybe had one in the sideboard. So like this is a statement. What do you like, is this just to try to get him up to cast his bolus as Citadel? What do you think is going on here?
1: If it were just about the Citadel, then there's only two Citadels in the deck, with a, a third in the sideboard. Um this is about This is about not falling too far behind to decks that aren't Teamer. Um, Wilderness Reclamation decks are going to build a huge mana advantage, and most of the decks that are competing with them have given up on trying to win from a position of a mana advantage. If you look at Rakdos, if you look at Mono Green Sans Nyssa, and if you look at uh, some of these other decks in the top eight, like Blue White, they're not generating a mana advantage. And obviously, he must think his teamer matchup is okay because he played the Citadel this Jun Fu deck in the Teamer Pro Tour, which is pretty surprising to everybody. But you can tell that he's also saying, I might not always beat Teamer. I'm playing a deck that the pros believe is, at least in some way, not favored against Teamer. But I want to beat everybody else. So in matchups against everybody else, he's generating a mana advantage in kind of a way that most other decks that aren't Teamer and aren't Bant have given up on. Um, Like like, if you're not playing Uro and you're not playing Wilderness Reclamation, then you're probably not worried about mana, but uh, Chris is willing to play a few cards for value that give him that advantage and let him have those huge Citadel turns and those huge Corvold turns and just take this kind of overpower you in action, as opposed to uh, also in cards, but mostly in just what you can do with your mana. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't hate it against Tima either. It's kind of like one of one of the easiest ways to lose to teamer is that they end up having a million mana and you have like three mana or something like that and so i i like the idea of at least having some semblance of trying to keep up being able to maybe double spell in a turn um not not the worst idea there and it's also like you know if it if it gets hit by a Scorching Dragonfire, that's just not a terrible interaction for you there. You're still up a card, even if it's only a land. So, yeah, you um, know, yeah I mean, Yeah, you I, I throw it in the
1: oven, you still get the card. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's perfect.
0: Great. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a lot to like about that. Um, I noticed he's... So, in order to make space for those, it looks like he's shaved off to claim the firstborn from his main deck. What do you think about going down claim... In a team meta metagame. Like, is is that a great call? Because on the one hand it's like, yeah, they don't they don't main deck a lot of creatures, right? So claim could be considered to be somewhat of a dead card against Teamer. But on the other hand, like these Teamer decks live in fear of having their Uro claimed. So like what what do you think about that decision?
1: In terms of Teamur being afraid of getting its URO claimed, it's smart because it's two isn't a number that You're going to have it all the time, but it's enough that they usually have to play around it. And it's important to remember that this tournament is open deckless so people can see each other's numbers before and during the match whenever they want to. So two claim is enough that you have to respect it, but not enough that that if they are respecting it, you're hindered. Because how many times have you played a Rakdos deck and had like three or four claims in your hand and your opponent's playing well around it? Yeah, like, I I mean yeah. on ladder yesterday, my opponent I just knew they had three claims from the way that it was going. <laughs> I literally played a Hydroid Crisis that was an eight eight, then cast Ritual Soot so to kill it and said go. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, move. Ev- yeah, dude. Eventually, I saw these claims come out because they were just using them to give like their Mayhem Devil Haste or whatever. But yeah. like, oh oh, another good play just to flex a little more on this particular player i was using nissa and i was animating fabled passage
0: oh yep so genius yep. move that people yep. genius move think <laughs> so, about it think about so, it so yeah
1: if your whole game plan revolves around claim then and you draw too many and your opponent's smart it's you it, you're in a terrible spot if it's just a one or a two of they have to respect it yeah. so i think it's really smart because i think the deck is good against aggro Anyway, and I think claim is mostly a way to pick on aggro. Um, so it wasn't that long ago that Jund wasn't even running claim like the Jund version. Then it mm. got, went up to four claim. I think that was a croquis that, uh innovation. Mm-hmm. And then now it's I think two is a perfect for this meta.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's got two in the board for those creature matchups, so got his bases covered. Well, cool deck list, and congratulations to him for beating all of the odds, and getting into the top 8 anyway. Now, finally, I wanted to take a look at the last deck in the top 8, which has just been steamrolling, like, utterly steamrolling this tournament. It's Mono Black Aggro by Riku Kumagai. So, this deck has, in some ways, the guts of of some of these mono, Mono Black Aggro decks that we've come to expect, but if you take a look at his list, it's actually very finely tuned and it's actually i i think that this is kind of a metagame masterpiece to be honest and especially watching him play the deck is like i don't know it's it's just it's a it's a work of art so this guy 100 percent deserves his top eight finish and as far as i knew when i last checked in he was still live in the tournament so he might be able to take it all away yeah, I'm so, going to
1: quickly interrupt and let you get into it, but yeah. um, I just want to say, if we have any fans out there good at memes, I want the jealous girlfriend meme. The jealous girlfriend is mono green, and the hot girlfriend <laughs> that Arjuna is looking at now is mono black. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know,
0: and here's the thing: my the the romance started slipping. I don't. It was one or two episodes ago where I was looking at the meta game, and it was just clear to me that mono green wasn't gonna wasn't gonna take down a tournament anytime soon I think that the the reign of terror has mostly ended for mono Green but it you know it was a fun ride it was a fun ride and I think you can still easily make mythic on the ladder playing it if that's where your heart lies but yeah this this mono black deck is is just the bee's knees so let's let's take a look at it so uh, he's running 28 creatures so two Blacklands paragon. 4 gutter Bones, 4 Hunted Nightmare. We will definitely come back and talk about that one. 4 Kite Cell Freebooter, 4 Knight of the Ebon Legion, 1 Murderous Rider. It's a little fun onesie there. 3 Rankle Master of Pranks, 4 Spawn of Mayhem, 2 Timurit Chosen from Death, which is an interesting main deck inclusion there. The only non-creature spells in this deck are 3 Duress and 4 Heartless Act playing 25 lands, 4 Castle Lockthuane, 2 Mobilized Districts, the rest are Swamps. The, the whole thing from start to finish is a meta game deck. I'm super impressed with the read on the meta, so I would not... I would just highly encourage you to don't just sleeve this up and take it onto the best of one ladder and expect that you're going to get tournament winning results with it, because there are some very specific things going on here. So... The first one is that um, you can see that he's playing around Teemo and just these Reclamation decks from the get-go. Lance Paragon is a nice flash threat that you can get around your opponent's sweeper. The Teemo deck likes to play a lot of instant speed, and so if you can play at instant speed as well, so much the better for you. Let's talk about these hunted nightmares because this is just like this is some sick tech here. Now, does this, this card is here in place of a notable absence? Cause what what's this deck missing, CGB? What's what's the one card that everyone's been playing against Tima that's missing from this deck?
1: Riding Regisaur is the one you're looking for. Indeed it
0: is. And kind of word got out that Reggie was one of the best sideboard answers to Tima. They just frankly weren't running many good answers to it and it was just coming down early and stealing a lot of games and so as a result these reclamation decks started running solar flare the four color versions and so one of the nice things is that if you go down this list there are just a number of cards that don't die to it you've got murderous rider you've got the hunted nightmare and even sometimes the Timur it chosen from death depending on you know what your board's looking like might actually be able to dodge it as well kitesail freebooter as well it's a one two right so that gets around it so that, that was one of the first things that he decided to do was to just make a deck that was as resilient to solar flare as possible solar blaze oh is it solar blaze
1: just okay. to help out a few people out there whose ears are burning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You Thank know you. who you are. You know who you are. Card <laughs> I God, I haven't sleeved
0: up in a while, clearly. So that's really sweet. And, you know, Hunted Nightmare is it's a 4-5 for 3, which, you know, is just obviously good stats. And against teamer, especially, there's just going to be a lot of times where they don't even have a creature. And even if they do have a creature, it getting Death Touch doesn't really matter. So that's it's just a sweet bit of tech, and he's been absolutely crushing people last weekend and this weekend using this. So um overall I think this deck is really sweet. The one surprise for me was playing three rankles. Like, in a world of shark typhoon, do you really want to be playing three rankles? What do you think about that?
1: Well, you don't obvious you don't want to play it into a shark typhoon, and I think that uh I think that we're definitely being cognizant of that because there's a lot of other things that are great to play into a shark typhoon like a hunted nightmare is a really good example of a card that you're pretty happy to have on the board when your opponent is holding up their shark typhoon uh duress goes right after the typhoon heartless act can interact with it at instant speed rankle for me anytime i play an aggro deck in this format or a mid-range deck and something happens to the board where it gets cleaned up by an Ugin, a Wrath, or my opponent casts three or four spells in one turn and just wrecks everything. I untap, and I look at my hand, and I say, where's the haste creature? Hmm. Yeah. Where's, where's a way that I can finish this game? I've got them at two frickin' life. I need the, how do I make this end? Or how do I get this Teferi off the board before it pluses? Or this Ugin off the board before it pluses? And I think that Rankle is a, ne- a necessary card for Mono Black, quite mm-hmm. honestly. I, I, it would be one of the last cards I'd consider cutting, because hmm. it's one of the only good haste threats that you can slam down after your opponents dealt with the board.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Another thing I noticed conspicuously absent from this list is
0: the Demon hug. Is that card yes. getting phased out, or is it just not a good match for this particular deck in this particular meta game?
1: Oh, it's not a good card for a player's tour final. Uh, let me. So let me let me add to this. When you are playing Magic, a lot of cards are powerful. A lot of cards are flexible. A lot of cards are good. A lot of cards are interesting. What this deck has done really well is it's removed the cards that have a super high ceiling... And a really low floor. Hmm. Yeah. So um, Rotting Regisaur, super high ceiling. If they can't kill a 7-6, it's going to finish you really fast. Super low floor. If they can remove it and you had to discard a card, you two for one yourself and you spent three mana on something that did nothing but hurt you. Yeah. Horrible against
0: Brazen Borrower.
1: Yeah. No advantage gained, right? Yeah. Um, Demonic Embrace. The Demon Hug, like you said, is another one of these cards that, if your opponent isn't interacting with it in any way, super high ceiling. Now your creature flies. Now your creature can't be blocked. Now it gets that damage in, and you can play it again and again from the graveyard. But if your opponent does have instant speed removal interaction that is appropriate for the format, they will find a way to punish you for making that play. And when you are playing Magic on Ladder... Your opponents aren't out there necessarily thinking how to punish Demonic Embrace. It's not the top of the meta. I don't even know if it's on the top ten uh, if you look at meta stats on any of the websites. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I design a deck, even a control deck, I'm not thinking of how to make your Demonic Embrace, Rotting Regisaur, miserable. I'm, I'm usually thinking about Embercleave and wide Wideboards. Yeah. Um, when you play an event on a competitive level, like a player's tour, not only is every player going to be tuned into the format, every player is going, to be, is going to have either in the main deck or sideboard, they're probably going to have somewhere around uh, 4 to 10 interactive spells made to punish you if you go for the high ceiling play. Whatever, the, whatever it is. Because that's what, that's what sideboarding at that level usually involves. Here's a few interactive cards that keep the opponent from making their really high ceiling play. Like, that's, that's, a, that's most of it. So, at this level, yeah, you don't want the Regisaur. You don't want the Embrace. Your opponents are going to be good. They're going to be sideboarding well. They're going to be ready for you to go in on these cards. This deck goes up the middle with reliable cards that are hard to punish. Hunted Nightmare sounds like a punishable card. It's not. Who has, three, who has two creatures on the battlefield? And if they do, they're gonna, one's going to die to a Heartless Act, and it's still unblockable, because has Menace. You know, Storm's Wrath. Ha! You know, Solar Blaze, Justice Strike. Ha! Do not care. Does not matter. Hunted Nightmare laughs at you.
0: Like I said, it's a masterpiece of metagaming, and I also just like how, you know, like we just did a a deep dive with Rint on the many builds of Mono Green, and what I love about this format is that we've had many builds of Mono Black as well. And Mm -hmm. that's actually, that might be a fun one to do before rotation, is to just try to find, you know try to find a top shelf mono black player and just really go through the different permutations because these licks, lists can look very, very different. And it's actually really sweet when you're in a format where even your mono color aggro deck has a lot of options and a lot of different possible builds that could all be quite viable. So I'll, I'll keep my eye out and maybe that's the thing. I mean, heck, maybe you and I could do it, CGB. How's your Japanese? Yeah, because... <laughs> Japanese well, we is got... so hot.
1: Yeah, we've got one here, but uh, the it was Witch, uh, arena screen name Witch, which I, I believe is Kakamai, Do you mm. Kakami. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, apparently the Japanese are capable of running Mono Black to amazing results, but uh, Witch was number one on ladder, the first number one of last Mythic season with Mono Black as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, well, keep an eye out for that. That might be a possibility. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this segment, but we will be looking definitely to see the outcome of this weekend, and I think that that's, you know, it's like the first major tournament we've had in a long time, so we'll be reporting on the results of that in some measure probably next week. All right, well, CGV, I'm really excited to get around to the crown jewel of this episode, and one of the most exciting things that happened for a lot of people in the Magicverse this week which was, Stephen Croak, the one and the only Crokeys, issued his challenge to Paper Boomers. So, CGB did a whole, uh, did a whole show about this on stream. Yes, I did. <laughs> and remind me, I, I think that you actually posted that show to your CGB gaming account, is that right?
1: Yes, it is posted to my second YouTube channel, and it's available on Twitch in the VOD section.
0: Yeah, so if you want to see, like, the whole setup and the whole discussion around it, you can go and check that out. But, CGB, why don't you just give us, like, a brief overview of how this beef started and how it evolved?
1: Brief, sure. Um, Magic Twitter is full of people who like to rate and B rate each other's uh, accomplishments uh, from the many years of playing this game at a high level. Andrew Ellenbogen is a Pro Tour champion who gave his top 10 list of MTG accomplishments and he threw out there, you know, after number 10, there was a dot, 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 and then it said number 100 getting number one on Mythic Ladder on Arena. Just uh, a little shade, little little shade. As the Arena Craft podcast, I do not stand with this very condescending and obviously, a, you know, uh, just mean-spirited view of the accomplishment of arena mythic number one status. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole other topic that we got into on the show as well. We had Danny, who's been number two on many occasions, talking about the win rates he had to have to be number two. Like, this is not... A good GP. This is a good month of GPs, you know, so uh, anyway, that's a whole other subject the because this is only relevant because people started tagging croakies because the guy has done such a good job with his stream and he's so popular and he builds decks and he's so consistent about chasing and achieving number one mythic status that people immediately think of him when they think of Number One Mythic. And he responded by saying some really funny stuff, calling Andrew Ellenbogen a paper boomer, um, which is a new term in MTG, but something that apparently arena players can use to refer to people who play paper magic in MTGO, MTG Online. So it's kind of a... uh, my one of my guests, Power Dragon, put it awesomely: like how how many games can have a generational rivalry like this? Very very few. So this is a, a rivalry now uh, between people who played paper and MTGO and people who grind on Arena, and uh, there was this blew up on Twitter, like people saying all kinds of stuff to each other. Some of it rather nasty. And then crokies put out a tweet saying, "Hey, I'm trying to put together what he calls the." Paper Boomer Gauntlet. He was trying to get eight opponents to play it one match, one best of three match against him each. And for every every loss, he was planning to donate $250 to charity. And uh, that event happened on Wednesday. And he had eight decks, five historic and three standard, and he picked them at random to play against his opponents, who each brought a deck of their own. And it was a really great show. Um, I'm not sure how deep you want me to go into the results or where you want to pick up the ball and talk about decks or how you want to play it. But uh, I watched pretty much all of it. I know that you were moving and couldn't be there a lot of the time. But uh, this, for me, was must-see Twitch TV. And crokies hit over 8,000 viewers on random Wednesday in the middle of a dead standard format, which is mind-blowing Yeah, to me.
0: Yeah. So so for comparison, the Magic players to Tour- coverage on Twitch during the same time frame was peaking at about 10k viewers. So croquis hit basically 80% of a player's tour in viewership. So this was like the, you know, the second most important tournament (laughs) that has happened in a very, very long time, basically, as far as like Twitch views are concerned. So yeah, I mean, first of all, just, just fun, right? I mean, it's just It was a way to stir up some beef and create some drama and create some rivalries and just have a good time. And, you know, crokeys if you don't already know his shtick, I mean, he's definitely, he spits a lot of game, but at the end of the day, he holds it all very lightly. And uh, I think he did a really excellent job of doing that throughout this whole process. And I'll tell you what, it was not easy Even just watching him freaking navigate, getting his friends list up and issuing challenges and actually having them go through properly was like half of the (laughs) tilt.
1: It was hilarious, though, because because every the guy couldn't lose in this particular setup, because any time that his (laughs) he even tweeted that we will start at 10 uh, C.E.T. Um, on the you know on the understanding that our that my opponents actually figure out how to work MTG Arena, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know and 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 then sure enough like from the very first match every time they were trying to do a challenge a direct challenge they're like the his opponents didn't know what the heck to do there was a bug where you if you issue a direct challenge in tournament best of three it says to your opponent would you like to play a best of one match so every single time the boot the uh, as as they are called for the event, the paper boomers would reply like, why'd you challenge me in best of one? And he's just like, just hurry up and keep up, <laughs> just hit the button. And anytime there was a technical issue, he's like, it's like, like the whole chat is like fricking boomers don't know how to use technology. And anytime there was an issue for both players, it was Wizards client, ha ha ha, small indie development company. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was insanely funny. Yeah. So, give
0: us a rundown. So, th- basically, the format of this was that he... I think he let the challengers, these eight paper boomers, decide which format they wanted to play between Historic and Standard. And then they got to choose a deck, and then basically he would... he he Now, is this right where he chose the decks, but then his his chat or a random number generator actually chose the matchups that he would play those decks in. Is that how it went?
1: My understanding is that he built the decks and he said chat will decide at random. I have no idea what that process was, but basically the decks were picked at random for each opponent.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, right there, can you imagine you're playing a tournament? It's an eight round tournament against definitely eight of the best living magic players that exist currently mm-hmm. all of yep. these people could be considered like you know top 20 top 50 magic players of all time and they all get to pick one deck and practice that deck and meanwhile your deck for each of those matchups is going to be a different deck and it's going to be selected at random on the day of the event so i mean the cards were definitely stacked against our man crokies here like at pretty much every step of the process <laughs> Yep. So, what what did his record end up being?
1: Crokeys ended up finishing with a four and four record, uh, and it was a rocky road. I I'm giving myself a lot of credit. If you watch my preview show, I made predictions. I was as close to perfect as you can get without being perfect. I had one match flip flopped. Like if I had picked Majors to lose and Calcano to win, I would have I, my predictions would have been perfect. And I did that without knowing the deck lists that were getting played. I was very proud of myself, but um, good job. Yeah, thank you. I feel like I know a lot about pro magic and a lot about croquis. I was perfectly designed for this this one job that I have, this <laughs> one task. But uh, it. Like, it was definitely a very trying day for him. He, he really put it out there. And we speculated in my pre-show, did, does Croakis have something to prove? He wants to be considered one of the best players. He's a competitive player. That's his, not just his brand, that is him. He is a competitor. And he said, you know, he said out loud that when he was at Mythic Invitational, Mythic Championship 3, I believe it was last year, Or it might have been a later one. It might have been six. I'm not sure of the number. But he was at a Mythic Championship last year by invite from Wizards. And he put up a one and four finish, which Kai Buda, one of the best players of all time, tweeted about to kind of rib him for the paper boomer thing. But Kroki said, like, he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready at the time. And he thinks this is a true test. And he wanted a true test. And he got one. Like This was insanely hard. He spoke about it many times while playing it. Like, this is pressure like he was completely unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. There were two things that went very badly for him. On one occasion, he had a Dovin's Veto, and his opponent wanted to play Nyssa, and he had a fabled passage in an island, and he fetched a forest. Was it just a a misclick? He, he, it wasn't a misclick. He just, it was one of those things. Like, I've been there. Your brain farts and you think well Uh, i want a forest because a a forest is better with nissa or whatever but he meant to cast the veto yeah and it just he fetched the one land that couldn't cast the veto you know that and 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 it was just devastating cost him the game it was a total landslide from there against one of the best players in the world yeah 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 it was game three the other thing that happened is he timed out thinking about how to attack the field of the dead deck with the mono white deck Yes, and he got, Arjuna move, Arjuna move right there. <laughs> yeah, but he got the attack off, but his opponent cast Settle, and because he had timed out, he didn't get to fetch the lands. Oh, he didn't get the
0: lands, that's right. Which, by the way, that's so savage, the way that that lines up. Like, it just... I, I, I think that the timeout structure on Arena, especially in like more competitive settings, is just not quite tuned like i think that the way it's designed works fine for just regular ladder play but i think like in a custom game or in a, in a tournament game having the regular timeout thing during matches where there's clearly you're, you're gonna cook through a lot of the game and then you're gonna have one turn which is gonna decide the whole game of the whole match and you really do want to just be able to like take like two minutes and think about it right so that, that's that has always bothered me just as, as someone who is used to like magic online or playing paper magic, where if it's a really pivotal moment in the match, you can be like, look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to take like a full couple of minutes to just think this one through because it's, it's really important. So I I really feel for crokies there. And that that particular, like your timer runs out, it passes you to combat, you attack, and then the game just doesn't give you the even just the time to like pick out the lands you obviously would have gotten out of your deck from settler wreckage so i i think that that's not his fault
1: basically well i it doesn't like this the game was over when the settle was cast that's so true it was that's in this true. case it was irrelevant to the outcome it was just the feels bad of it and the <laughs> mental drain that you could see you know yeah you could just see the the, the kind of what uh yeah. it's so hard but on the other hand there was a happy ending because when Seth Manfield uh, and crokies battled in the last match of the day and crokies got the win over a world champion MPL member and one of the best players in the world Seth Manfield um, and finished four and four you could just see the relief and the this like he he felt the, he felt like he he held his own he didn't need to win every match, he he needed to feel like he could hold his own. And that may not be totally true with exactly one exception here. He did face Andrew Ellenbogen, the tweet that started it all. And he ended up facing him in a Jund food mirror. Whoa, dude. I believe Ellen Bogan was on the 75 from Larson. That is in the Players Tour Finals. And crokies does not believe in Solemn Simulacrum. <laughs> he does not believe in Sad Robot. He was sending trash talk about what is, how is your 4-mana 2-2 lining up in this matchup, you know, <laughs> like making fun of him. Yeah. And crokies uh, lost game one, and you could just see in his eyes, like, this got real. This just got real. But he came back, he took the next two, and you, like, chat was... Chat and Crokies, everybody was enthusiastic that the big bad uh, of this particular event, the paper boomer with the biggest of mouths on Twitter, Andrew Ellenbogen, was
0: defeated. I mean, not only would it have been humiliating from the outset to lose to Ellenbogen, but losing in the John DeMera would have been particularly, particularly difficult because, you know, Crokies is definitely a, a sacrifice player, especially as of late. And definitely an expert Jund pilot, so I think that that would have really stung him. So, do you, wanna, do you wanna just talk through some of the deck lists here? And also, I think it's an interesting pivot for us to talk about historic, you know, because it was what five out of the eight matches were played in the historic format.
1: Yeah, and this weekend is the Historic Open, so as we are recording this, deck lists are getting retweeted, and we're getting our first look at what competitive Historic, like serious competitive Historic looks like. There have been some tournaments uh, held by MTG Arena Zone and held on MTG Melee, but for the most part, the world at large hasn't had to think about about Historic from a competitive standpoint until now, so it's a really interesting time to look at the format. And uh, let's see if I can grab the right decks here to put on screen. It's always interesting to see what Crokies comes up with because the guy has pretty much came into magic from outside magic and has become a respected mind in deck building because of his approach to metagames and his decks for this tournament showcase what I think is a really smart approach to historic that is also accessible to a lot of players I don't know how many times you hear this. I hear this every day. People just don't play Historic, even though they play a lot of Standard on MTG Arena because they feel like they have to get more cards. They can't afford cards. They don't this, that. And the Crokey's approach, as we see here, is he has these decks, and they're basically Standard decks with a few key cards from Historic, a few key crafts, a few exact additions but standard is so kind of broken as we've talked about on the show before that all you need are a few upgrades and you can mostly run your standard deck in historic and enjoy some things like a slightly different meta a few sideboard options you didn't have before better mana in the form of check lands so what i've got on my screen is a Rakdos sacrifice deck That wins by comboing off with Bolas' Citadel in Rakdos, because you can play the the Citadel insanely early because of a card that's legal and historic, Phyrexian Tower. This is a rare legendary land that lets you sacrifice a creature to add two black to your mana pool. Perfect for a sacrifice deck. Ramps your mana, lets you cast the Citadel quicker. And the other card from Historic in this list is Stitcher's Supplier, which for one black, you play that, it mills three. It's either a common or an uncommon And so it's a very very easy craft for most people. Yeah, And this card, basically, if you have an oven and you have a stitcher supplier, you're probably going to find a cat. You get six extra looks for your cat, which is, like, that's really good. And with citadel, it's a way to flip your top card if you hit a land and you have already played a land and your citadeling would be at an end, sacrificing your supplier gets you more looks. So just minor upgrades on, a, on an existing good theme that can help players who may already be playing Rakdos Sacrifice get into Historic. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a... Like you said, it's a testament to how powerful Standard is right now, and so that is one of the benefits of playing it. Like, if you want to really play the Historic format and have fun and play around and stuff, you're going to need a very, very deep collection. But if you want to be competitive yeah you you really don't need much like this deck has i'm looking so it has um it has six rare lands in it as the only rare crafts for the main deck that aren't standard legal and then there's three mythics in the form of phyrexian obliterator which you know you don't even need to run those necessarily in your board if you don't if you don't feel like crafting them so decks strong well, like, what can you say? Like, this deck is able to be, like, a top 10 on the ladder deck. So 100% think it's a great choice, and Crokies has proved it.
1: Yeah, it's so strong he ran almost the same deck, except with a little bit of green for Trail of Crumbs and Gilded Goose, and called it a new deck. It is now Jund. It's almost exactly the same deck.
0: And again, it's, like, it's mostly just the, the lands. So, okay, so Historic is definitely... The, the sets that have rotated out of it are about, it's like about as many sets have rotated out as are in standard at the moment. So the, the card pool is kind of like roughly analogous in size difference. But because the recent sets are so powerful, you can kind of get away with it. And so I think this is actually a great time to be playing Historic if you want to play it competitively. Because give it a year or two, and it's just like the difference between a new player's card pool and an existing player's card pool is only going to widen, and the number of sets in the format are only going to widen. And so I, it's, kind of, it's, like, it's kind of like get in now. If you want to play the format, now is a really good time to get into it.
1: Yeah, can you imagine being a new player to Arena who never played with Eldraine and Standard and trying to get into Historic? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I don't even know how you would do it. We should go find one and have them as a guest on the podcast in (laughs) in, a a year when, or like two years when this happens. (laughs) The tilting
0: thing is you can't even really buy your way in, you know? You would have to be so wealthy to come to Arena and just buy your way into these decks. You know what I mean? It's like in in Magic Online or in Paper Magic, you can be like, okay, yeah, a place out of that is going to be a $100. Da-da-da-da-da, right? But, like, on Arena, you can't just buy an expensive card. It's like your only options are to crack packs, basically. So, that, I don't know. I, that, that's a whole conversation we could go into. But, but Paulo Vitor D'Amadorosa just made a tweet basically saying, ''I want to play Historic. How do I buy the cards?'' paper boomer alert (laughs) well paper boomer alert but also world champion alert wants to play your format and is not finding an easy way to do it i mean that should be a heads up to wizards of the coast when the best player in the world right now wants to get into the format and is like hmm i'm noticing a significant barrier to my getting into the format something's
1: wrong there I yeah that's that's honestly like a client issue. The economy is also a symptom of it too. It, yeah, it's yeah it's it's a product. Magic Arena as a product has flaws. That's probably a whole show to be honest. Yeah yeah. So okay, so let's look at some of the other deck lists that you pulled
0: up here because yeah, the Raktos and the John Sacrifice lists from Historic were just very 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 close to the standard lists um but let's look at this mono white historic deck that you've got lined up for us that croquis played
1: yeah this has a uh, dauntless bodyguard giant killer isamaru Hanund of kanda which is a jumpstart inclusion one white for a 2-2 doggo the end sweet
0: let, let me just stop you there for a moment i love this card design so much this is like this is like the classic example of beautiful design, right? The so, opposite
1: of questing beast. <laughs> the
0: opposite of questing beast. It's so here's what I love about it. It's a one mana two two. It's under costed, right? Like just a one mana two two with no drawback is too powerful for magic. So what they've done, it's so elegant. They just made it legendary.
1: That's it. Yep. You can't go turn one goblin guide, turn two goblin guide, goblin guide. <laughs> yeah so, so that's, that's
0: how they balance the power of this card is like sure you can run four of them in your deck but if your opening hand has more than one good luck winning that
1: game anyway keep going so there's also four legions landing which as we'll get to soon is the only spell in the deck and then there's three selfless saviors, three sky marcher aspirants, four stonecoil serpents four odonto vanguard three season hollow blade and three thalia guardian of Thraven. There's four Benelish Marshall and four Venerate Loxodon. There's 20 lands. Three of them are the White Castle. And uh, the thing I want to highlight about this deck that I really like, and then I'll throw it over to you and you can talk about it. I can't build a White Aggro deck in Historic like this. I would have never gotten here on my own. I'm just not capable of it. Because as much as I want to play Thalia and say that's the freaking card I need, I can never not put History of banalia in my deck. Because <laughs> that card is freaking value and an anthem yeah. and amazing, and it was powerful, and it propped up the mono-white deck so much in Standard, and it breaks my heart when you actually stop to think about it and say, oh, that card's too slow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think Venerate's Loxodon is the sum total of the reason why it's not getting played in the deck, you know? Because I think if you remove the Loxodon, I think that you could you could make a reasonable argument for that card. Mm, I think it's Thalia. Like, I, I strongly disagree. I think it's Thalia. I, I guess that's true, yeah. Thalia, you're right. If you're running Thalia, you can't play History of Benalia, so that's a good point. But another thing to note as well is that some of these previous lists ran more knights, and so History of Benalia's payoff on the third chapter was actually more relevant to a lot of the cards in the deck. This, this deck is running almost no knights. Like, so I think that that's another reason why it's just not a good include. That's fair. This deck is solid. It's super solid. And I think it's actually a good bridge. This is like a good bridge between... The version of this deck of olds that we got used to playing last year and and all of the new cards that have been added to the pool so i'm kind of stoked actually i mean if you look at this it's got like uh, cards from dominaria cards from eldraine we've got this jumpstart hound in here legion's landing is an ixalan card selfless savior is a um Ikaria. no 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 it's a uh, M2, m21 Save.
1: card. yeah yeah M1 um so you
0: know it's just like it really is like a sampling of the different sets that we've had and i don't know i just think that that's a very cool example of the diversity of the format
1: it's 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 can you take one white creature from each set for the past x years and make a deck does it work <laughs> yeah or white it's a great proof of concept this is one you're gonna like, though, and and I like it because this is mono green aggro, so right up your alley. But it just it run it's almost it's almost a standard mono green deck with just two inclusions. I'll let you I'll let you break this one down.
0: Okay, right on. So yeah, you'll recognize most of the cards in this list. It does it looks very similar to the standard deck. So there's a couple of key differences. Number one, it runs four copies of Llanowar Elves. So this was a huge loss when Lanowar Elves rotated out of standard. This deck took a huge hit because Lanowar is just—it's a strong card. It's—it's it's like it's Mono Green's version of of Growth Spiral, right? So, because Mono Green can't be doing that, it can run Lanowar Elves, and that gets you to three mana on turn two. But then it has four Pelt Collectors, four Stone Coral Serpents, three Primal Mites, four Scavenging Ooze, four Barkhide Troll, four Lovestruck Beast. Just totally normal mono green build. But then we come to another wonderful green card that rotated out of standard as well. Steel Leaf Champion. Now, this, I think that this was one of the first cards it was one of the first like modern creature card designs that we saw last year that really made people think like wow power creep power creep (laughs) because this is a five four that can't be blocked by creatures of the power two or less for three mana three mana five four evasion whoa dude whoa you know i mean rent (laughs) rent was like when i saw this card i was like what is happening in magic so anyway so that was that was a big hit to lose that from standard then it's just running three questing beasts three vivians four Castle garenbrig and 19 forests so one of the nice things about this deck is that you basically get to replace a couple of forests with your lanoir elves and that just gives you more gas something i was surprised though is i feel like lists like this used to run one or two copies of galta primal hunger at the top end And I feel like Galt has kind of gone out of style. And it's a little bit hard for me to figure out why, because I feel like it would have good matchups. Like, it's probably decent against Field of the Dead, right? Um, It's probably decent against, I don't know. I mean, it might even be decent against Team Oreck. It's like, once it comes down, how do you really deal with it? Like, Magmaquake can't kill it? I I got the answer.
1: All right, lay it on me. It's the analysis from the mono black deck. High ceiling, low floor cards yeah. in a best of three environment against pros. Yeah. It's it's a different with known deckless as well. It's just it's a different format. I if you're gonna play ladder, either best of three or best of one, there you're not going to get punished hard for playing Galta. If you play against really good players in an open deckless situation, you will get punished for these high ceiling cards. Yeah. High ceiling, low floor cards that's a good
0: call and i think another thing is just that and this is actually what i learned playing mono green in standard as well you just don't need it to win you know Mm. like all of these decks trying to play these flashy expensive green creatures and stuff it's like no this deck can hit three land drops and kill you it's just not you know cards like that might actually just be too slow so fun deck dude this is a really like rock paper scissors deck, right? Because like Mono Green has its great matchups. He smashed. He absolutely smashed Brandon Burchard. Uh What's Burchard? his? Uh, what's Brandon his? Burton,
1: Sandy Dog. Yeah, MTG. Sandy Dog. Um, mm. But uh, that was like the closest match. Like maybe you saw Game Two. Because if you're talking about Game Two, you are right. That was the that was an absurdly close match. It, it was
0: a close match. However croquis did keep i think he like he mulled to six game three and kept a very sketchy hand and he still won that game and i i think in general the mono green has a strong matchup versus mono red
1: it if you watch one matchup from that event though like the that that was a very good match and i i i guess i
0: undersold it he didn't smash him
1: by any means so that
0: that was inaccurate for sure
1: it was also the standard deck we were talking about the historic one just to also be clear oh
0: was it okay yeah. Okay. That's that's good for me to know. But yeah, definitely watch that. That was a great game.
1: The last historic deck on his uh, radar here is the one that I think everybody is scared is taking over historic because it posted a seventy-something percent win rate in one of the tournaments. One of the MT- I think it was an MTG Arena Zone tournament, but one of the weekend tournaments with over a hundred players, 70 70- some- like seventy-one point something percent win rate, and that is Wilderness reclamation Team in historic with field of the dead with the field of the freaking dead <laughs> there you know this deck was like hmm why don't we just
0: take a handful of the most powerful cards in the format and just put them in the same deck and run it it was kind of like your it was like when uh, you first put to in the wreck deck right it's like the same thing
1: about a month ago, by the way. Yeah. Was all over that one. <laughs> it was a meme for me, but now the pros are doing it. So Ahead of the
0: Curve. So take us through this deck list, cause this is I mean, in some ways this is kind of a spicy meatball.
1: I wish I had the stats right here, because I think he did 32 land. I'd have to do the math to make sure. But yeah. just just if I told you that we're going to play Magic the Gathering, if I told somebody from nineteen ninety, say six <laughs> that we were going to play magic the gathering and run 32 land in historic not in like legacy there's like a 40 some land deck in right. legacy that's known but right like th- this is still not this is still weird to me and it's becoming so common i'm i have now this week like in the last 7 days i've played two decks on my youtube channel with 30 lands in them in in 60 card decks two different decks and I don't think it's going away because in one of the videos I got mana screwed running that thirty land deck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, this has I think thirty two lands. All the the twenty eight lands you'd expect in Team Erect plus four Field of the Dead, and then you use the historicness of the format for the variety in the mana base, so that you can run temples and check lands like Rootbound Craig and Sulfur Falls and shock lands like Stomping Ground and Steam Vents, along with the triomes. Along with a blast zone, along with Fabled Passage, it's kind of amazing to me. You are not running any bad lands, you are running this amazing diversity of 32 lands so that your Field of the Dead makes zombies. None of them suck, yeah. none of them are like a bad gain one life or just a guild gate. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like we have enough playable lands now, especially for like a, a mid-range deck like this uh, in the format that yeah you can easily feed a field of the dead on a three-color mana base you know which is kind of like unheard of it's like in the past these decks usually had to be four or five colors to really get that diversity of lands and and properly take advantage but this
1: deck is just so powerful it's like nah i'll just run three colors it's fine the cards you'd recognize from Standard are Shark Typhoon, Expansion Explosion, Wilderness Reclamation, Uro, and Aether gust and Growth Spiral. So, like, the Standard deck. The historic additions, besides Field of the Dead, which, by the way could have been in standard right now was meant to be in, in standard right now the only reason it's in historic and not standard is because it was banned but um the other cards here we've got three magma quake which is a jump start uh. addition to the format which is basically an instant speed x sweeper uh. for creatures without flying and planeswalkers you don't sound like you like this uh. Uh. i've been <laughs> wrecked so hard by this card on the ladder so uh, I'll get to the other one in a second, but Magmaquake is a particularly interesting case with Wilderness Reclamation. If Wilderness Reclamation in Standard wants to play Storm's Wrath, which I do recommend for at least best of one and sideboard for best of three, you have to give up the Wilderness Reclamation turn. Yeah. So you, you can either cast, when you have four mana available, you can cast Storm's Wrath or Wilderness Reclamation. You have to make a choice not with magmaquake this is an instant with an x in the cost so you can play reclamation and still have magmaquake available for two that turn it's which a is flame a big sweep. deal oh yeah yeah i mean that that's a flame sweep but it scales up going forward and yeah, it it's a, hit, it's a flame sweep that hits walkers Yeah, like Teferi, you know, the card that's good against you. One (laughs) of the only cards that's good against you. The other card is the card that we mentioned, I believe it was last week, that got added to the format and has me just staring at a wall. Just just why? Like, made me rethink my entire existence, which is Explore, which is just an easier-to-cast growth spiral for the most part. So that there's now eight of these effects four explorer four gross spiral four euro you just play two lands every turn of the game your opponent plays one and you don't lose anything you just draw a card for this this disadvantage that they that is supposedly in existence here i mean are you kidding me cgb this deck list is deeply troubling to me
0: like yes it's unsettling all right it's unsettling. Look, like okay. Let me just let me just read this off to you. How, and you as a listener, just just listen to how this feels, okay? Three Ether gust, four explore, four growth spiral, four oro, four wilderness reclamation, three magnet quake, three shock typhoon, four expansion explosion. That's it. Like, th- like those are the those are the non land cards in the deck. All right. What? Like what? This shouldn't be a deck. This is not a deck. <laughs> this is literally 12 ramp spells, four mana doubling spells, three freaking targeted hate cards in the main deck. It's got three wraths, three shark typhoons, and four expansion explosions as the only other cards in the, in the deck. It's just... I hate it.
1: <laughs> I hate and- it. And... And on top of all that, even with that narrow scope, and this is an incredibly narrow deck. Yeah. It's basically the top end of the format. It's like the best deck in the format. Dude, if it if it gets if you don't kill it in five turns, you lose. Because this deck, the longer it plays quote unquote magic, the more just free two two zombies it gets from Field of the Dead, and the larger the shoot you in the face and draw a million cards effects like shark typhoon and explosion get it is the ceiling on the format it is as big as you go but it literally is just doing it on turn five it's so messed up man because you know what bothers me about
0: this and i'm not going to hop on this too much but this deck shouldn't it should be a meme you shouldn't be able to do this in magic because in the past okay a of all running cards like ether gust in the main shouldn't be normal and then B of all, your ramp spells shouldn't be drawing you into more gas. And then C of all, your ramp spells shouldn't be coming back from the graveyard to win the game. D of all. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. It's like my cycler shouldn't also be a 6-6 flyer. My freaking wrath effect shouldn't be an instant that kills planeswalkers. Like, what is going on
1: here? But should your land create infinite 2 that also win the game no! should you actually not do the other things did i mention they're uncounterable <laughs> oh my gosh so what you're what you're harping on is the reason that people have just this reaction of i threw up in my mouth a little at this deck yeah. which is none of all of these effects should be a significant cost there should yeah. be a downside yeah. right but when you have explore and grow spiral Like, getting to play multiple lands a turn, getting to ramp, unquote, should have a downside. There's no downside to Grow Spiral or Explorer. You get a new card. There's no downside to Uro. The downside is someday you get a 6-6 threat that ends the game and makes sure that you never lose to aggro ever. That's the downside. Uh, Aethergust should have a downside, but in the meta, certain colors are so imbalanced that it just doesn't. The only card here with a downside is Magmaquake, and that downside is that it doesn't hit flyers. So that's just about the only thing you can exploit. The main deck that people have turned to, as this has become the deck in Historic, pushing out even the busted goblin deck that appeared, the main deck that people are turning to is Mono Blue. Yeah. Mono Blue, infinite counterspells, and flyers.
0: Yep. And
1: thank God. I mean, really, thank God that this... thank god for Monoblue. people hate that deck too <laughs> that deck is that deck exists on the foundation that everything it gets to do is cheap and the opponent never gets to play anything interesting like the, the, that's not the good guy i know i've been the bad guy a long time playing decks like that people hate them but that's it. You know, it's like when
0: I look at this deck, I'm like, if I don't not draw against this deck, I lose. That's that's just how I read this. If every card in my deck lines up perfectly, I have a chance. But if anything goes wrong against this deck, you lose. I, I mean, I was one of the first people who, like, when I saw Field of the Dead unbanned in Historic, I was like, what?
1: What is the upside? Yeah. What is the upside? <laughs> is somebody out there just celebrating this this card that's like free tutus until the end of the game it's it's so weird i mean this card's freaking
0: banned in pioneer you know what i mean yeah yeah why is it legal in our historic format and 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 don't hit me with well we also put ghost quarter in the format lol (laughs) you know yeah i I I hope you've had a really
1: good time I hope you've had a really good time shutting down Wilderness Reclamation with your Ghost Quarter. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, have fun with that one, champ. Ugh, all right, well, I think we've uh, expended enough bile for one day. So yeah, so that's just a little brief overview of what was happening in Kroki's little tournament, and just a taste of some of the decks that... I wouldn't say all of these decks are even Tier 1 in Historic, but that just... A sampling of the format and things that you can play and things that Crokies have been playing that have been putting up enough results that he would be considering bringing them to a tournament like this so i think we we don't have time to go into the historic open deck lists right now but cgb what do you think maybe we can next week um get a little bit more into the historic meta game and, and take a look at what's happening there
1: Totally. So as we alluded to, what's going on right now is the historic open is being played and people are revealing their deck list from the best of one portion that we're able to get to the seven wins to qualify for day two, where it becomes best of three. And I think that's interesting. But what I really want to know is in best of three in competitive with $2,000 on the line, are people going to play this team a wreck deck? Or are they going to beat it? So I'm really looking forward to seeing the technology and we can talk about that next week and figure out, does Field of the Dead need to be banned? Does Wilderness Reclamation need to be banned? Or could the best minds in the game, playing for that, uh, playing for that 2K, you know, playing for the sweet dollar, did they figure out a way? I think it's going to be really cool. I, I want to know. I am curious. What do you think? Do you think this deck will be beaten? Uh, it's tough. I mean... If people are hard tar- like This is definitely
0: the kind of deck that you can hard target and win against, but one of the issues is that decks that hard target this I think would lose pretty hard to other prominent decks in the fall. Like, like what deck could you build that could consistently beat this deck but also consistently beat Goblins? That's, that's a tough one. We're going to be looking for it. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> we'll find it by next week and we can talk about it on the show. So yeah, my money's riding on this deck for the moment, but... I mean, who knows? A while back, Crokies himself was saying that Field of the Dead was a bit too slow. Maybe that was just before, you know, the Hivemind slash he slash Danny Tilaw slash other people discovered this particular build. So perhaps he might rescind his statement. But I, I think a deck that would beat this would just be a deck that had a really proactive game plan that was looking to win on turn four. Like, I don't know that Keth's combo has necessarily got an edge against this deck, but Keth's combo is the kind of deck that can just be like, I just comboed off faster than you could kill me, taste it, you know what I mean? So, I'll I'll be interested to see if, if there's like a combo deck that can actually just go under this deck or not.
1: Yeah, likewise.
0: Yeah, that, I'm stoked, and I'm just in general getting more and more stoked about Historic as time goes on, so... Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll even start to see some historic videos on CGB's channel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The main channel is very standard devoted. I notice a big difference when I post historic content, but I do encourage more people to try it out, so maybe that won't be the case someday. Maybe the uh,
0: ArenaCraft podcast YouTube account can be pushing out some of that historic content for our listeners coming up. I will suddenly be looking for opportunities to publish content when I can. So yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. You can find ArenaCraft Podcast on Twitch, ArenaCraft Podcast, Twitter, ArenaCraft Pod. If you go to youtube.com forward slash arena craft podcast, you can find our YouTube channel. It's mostly episodes that have been released just on the platform, but I, I have been and will be more as the time goes on just releasing some you know, videos of, of my play and maybe some deck list, maybe even a little bit something similar to CGB's format. Um, if, if there's just stuff that I'm enjoying that I want to share with you guys. So that's going to be an expanding part of content coming up. You can find CGB on his YouTube channel, of course. It's one of the main places you can watch him play Magic, but you can also see him play on twitch.tv forward slash covert go blue. And he streams live Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. CGB, I'm looking forward to catching up with you next week to talk about more magic. Likewise, my friend. See you there. Awesome, man. Bye-bye.